Welcome to Alzheimer Speaks Radio. <clears throat> this is your host, Lori LeBay, and I am <clears throat> I have a frog in my voice once again. It's springtime and allergy season here. Um, <clears throat> I am your host of Alzheimer Speaks and uh, founder as well as the host of Alzheimer Speaks Radio. Uh, we're going to have a really interesting show for you today. We have uh, Judy Cornish with us who um, has written a book and has a new method um, in terms of dealing with dementia called dementia uh, or the Dawn method. And we'll talk about that in just a minute. But because we get so many listeners, I'm just going to let people know who we are and what we do here at Alzheimer Speaks because, like I said, we always get new listeners and and it's always nice to know who the heck you're listening to. Um, Bottom line, Alzheimer Speaks is an advocacy-based company and we provide multiple platforms to shift our dementia care culture from crisis to comfort around the world. And we just have a blast doing that. We have everything from a website to a blog to the radio platform to something we call Dementia Chats, which is a video interview of experts. And those experts actually are living and diagnosed with the disease. We also do a lot of um, speaking and training. We're putting on a cruise Uh, conference for dementia this fall. So we just try to be innovative and really engaging with all aspects of of individuals dealing with this disease. We also believe that joining forces and sharing knowledge is really the only way that we're going to win this battle uh, um, with dementia. And I want to thank each and every one of you for um, sharing our information, your likes, your clicks, your shares, if it's the blog, if it's the radio show, the website, etc., um, is huge because there are so many people in our own spheres dealing with dementia that we don't even know. Um, and they don't feel safe in terms of coming out and talking about it yet. But the more information that they can find, the easier it's going to be for them to reach out and grab it. We also feel strongly here on the show that by having these everyday conversations that we're going to be able to not only raise awareness, but we're going to be able to remove some of the stigmas attached to memory loss and hopefully remove a lot of that fear and isolation that goes with it. So thank you for being part of our Alzheimer's Speaks family. Um, And we hope that you will continue to raise awareness by sharing um, the information and the content that we push out You see, all your likes, your shares, and your clicks um, got us um, noted as the number one influencer online by ShareCare and Dr. Oz. And we were also lucky enough to have Maria Shriver notice us and call us an architect of change. And we don't take that as us. We take that as our community as a whole because it's all of us working together to make these changes and help raise awareness. So, again, I want to thank you. Uh, The last thing I want to tell you about us is uh, here on the show, and and if it's the blog or whatever, again, we like to hear everybody's voice. So think about who you are, what you do, and what your thoughts are about dementia, because you might be a great next guest for us. Um, We interview people with dementia. We interview families who are dealing with it, business professionals, authors, researchers, movie directors, singers, songwriters, you name it. Um, advocates. Um, It takes all of us um, to really shift our dementia care culture, and we can't shift if we don't talk. And so that's what I love about our program is this truly is uh, true talk radio. Um, Before I introduce Judy, I just want to make a couple of announcements. One is I really invite all of you to be part of our conference and cruise that we are doing November 11th through the 18th. And we will be leaving um, Florida uh, for an Eastern Caribbean cruise uh, for uh, seven days. And we've got just an amazing team that's going to be with us. Um, It'll be myself and Cindy Lazinski um, from Colorado, who's a professional. Um, Both of us have a lot of experience with dementia-friendly communities and a lot of other things uh, dementia-related 
And then we have uh, four people on our team who are actually living and diagnosed with the disease. Harry Urban, Michael Ellen Bogan, Lori Shearer, and Mary Reed. Um, and then we just found out Becky Watson, who is a music therapist, is going to be joining us. So actually, our plan is going to change, our program plan. And I haven't updated that, but you can go to alzheimerspeaks.com and see what we have so far, knowing that there will be even more coming um, coming with that program. Um, people are always asking me, you know, roughly, what does it cost? And part of it's going to depend on what type of um, cabin that you, you choose to book. And that can be anywhere from, you know, fourteen to $1,800. Uh, dollars, and then you'd still have your airfare and stuff to, to in transportation to get back and forth. But once you're on your on the ship, you know that's your your meals and your rooms, um, and um, also includes the conference. And you do have to go through Kathy Schof in order to be part of the conference. So again, you can just go to alzheimerspeaks.com. You can download a flyer. Um, you can get more program information, or you can get directed uh, straight to Kathy, and she can help you out with much more detail there. So let's go and introduce our guest today. Um, I'm very excited to have Judy Cornish with us. She is an elder law attorney, an author, and the founder of Dementia and Alzheimer's Wellbeing Network, or what's referred to as DAWN. And she is also the creator of the DAWN method of dementia care. Um, Judy believes that if we look at dementia more as a psychological condition rather than a disease and a simple pattern of abilities and cognitive losses um, appear to make dementia easier um, to deal with. And it's a, it's a happier, more joyful process uh, for everyone. So welcome to the show today, Judy. Oh, thank you, Laurie. It's wonderful to join you. Thank you. Well, good. Um, one of the questions I always ask everybody before we kind of go down our path is, do you have um, a personal connection to dementia? Do you have family or friend who have, have been diagnosed in your own circle? You know, the way I um, became involved uh, was through a neighbor. I don't have anybody in my family, but, you know, of course, the older I get, the more people um, who are my friends are, are actually developing it. But for me, it came from a neighbor, this lovely woman across the street who um, would have had to move into a care facility if she didn't have someone who could help her um, just deal with the daily life when she had memory loss and, and increasing confusion. Okay. So it really was a, a neighbor who became a dear friend that... Oh. Um, through whom I got involved with dementia care. Okay. Well, great. It's always just nice to know for our listeners, um, you know, if there's a family or personal connection there. Um, typically for anybody who's involved with this, it is quite personal. Um, you know, once they become an advocate, um, you can just hear they were touched. And for you, it was that neighbor, you know, that, that made that connection and, and drew you into the the world of dementia. Why don't we talk about your dementia handbook um, and why you decided to write it and and how you think that it can it can help people dealing with dementia. You know, it for me, I think actually um, the the for two re, re, I wrote the book for two reasons, and the first one was because as an attorney, when I was practicing elder law. I saw so many families that would um, be bankrupted by the cost of long-term care. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this, it affects so many of us. It really is an epidemic. And um, so, you know, as an attorney, I'd be settling in a, in a state and probating an estate and, and see an entire inheritance that would have gone to the next generation and help them, you know, pay off mortgages or, um, send their children to college, and you'd see the entire inheritance go into long-term care. Mm -hmm. And so that was, you know, the beginning of my awareness of, of you know, just how uh, widespread dementia and Alzheimer's really was in, in the United States. And and then secondly, when I did get to know, you know, that first neighbor, and uh, what had happened was I had moved to Moscow, Idaho, thinking that I would retire, semi-retire from the law and, and just practice law just a few hours a week or a few hours a month. And so her daughter came across the street and said, you know, that they were going to have to move mom because she kept losing the car. 
And then I, I said, you know, don't, don't make her move. I'm not working. Mm-hmm. I, I'd be happy to check in on her and I can take her to get groceries. And, you know, and if she loses the car, I, I can find it. And, and so that started just with, um, you know, not me wanting to help this one person. And, and within a couple of weeks, I was helping another neighbor. And then within two months, um, I realized I'd, I'd essentially started a business that was uh, focused on providing dementia care rather than senior care. Mm-hmm. And, and so over the past six and a half years, you know, my goal has always been to help people who are experiencing dementia be able to retain dignity and autonomy and, and as much as possible help people to stay in their own homes. And and so writing this book, and it's a very it's a very small book. It's only about a hundred pages. But what I wanted to do was was be able to explain for all of us, for families, um, not in medical terms or or in you know using um, this more than you know when uh, diagnosis or, or anything else. I wanted just to make it really clear to us as families and friends, how can we make life better for our loved ones when they experience dementia? Okay. And so, you know, it was, it was my hope that I could communicate this pattern I saw. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's, it's nice. Um, that's kind of my philosophy too, is um, do stuff that's practical and kind of break away from the medical um, academic model because it doesn't translate yeah. in the streets to the families who are struggling with this disease and, and for the people who are diagnosed that are struggling for answers. They just want to have a conversation. They want to use everyday language right. that makes sense to them so that they can then apply right. it. <clears throat> and when we use all this wonderful medical jargon, um, it just kind of pulls <clears throat> this fog over them and says, oh, this is too deep. I can't. It's too much work. And right. when you can get to the simplicity of just teaching people how to live graciously with it and the little tips and tricks that you've learned. Um, those are amazing, you know, gifts and outcomes um, to be able to share with people. Um, those are really life-changing events, you know, in that Yeah, matter. you know, and I think we're, we're a little sidetracked. You know, mm-hmm. here in the United States, we're really good at um, treating disease and responding to disease, Um and we have this focus, this, you know, and, and dementia is, a, you know, it's a medical condition. Um, but when we focus on, on, you know, testing for the presence and then diagnosing and then treating, mm-hmm. and we don't have effective treatments, we can't at this point cure somebody. I think we become preoccupied with that medical uh, analysis and diagnosis and process. And and when we do that, we end up really focused on the disease rather than on the person. Yeah. You know, and, and, and treatment, you really do want your doctor or your surgeon, um, your medical professional, you do want them focused on the disease. Mm-hmm. You know, if it's, if it's cancer, I want my surgeon very focused on my cancer, not on me. Mm-hmm. But, but for these things that we cannot cure, you know, these the these conditions that we're going to have to live with. I think it's really important that we see the difference between treatment and care and, and that we, we, when we're looking at something we can't cure, that we're thinking about quality of life and we're focused on the individual. And when we do that, then, then I think it's easier for us to see what the person really can do. Yep. Well, and I think that that's a, a, a great, great analogy because we don't have a cure. We don't even know what causes it yet. You know, there's lots right. of different theories with that. And so let's focus on what we do know. We do know that we still want to live life. We still want to engage. So how do we do that? You know, how, how do we right. still belong to society and not become outcasts, um, not become isolated? And, and marginalized. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's huge because everybody wants to fit in. And yet, for whatever reason, that doesn't seem to be a high priority in terms of um, the educational process and the funding process um, during this interim when we don't have a cure. And, you know, personally, I would like to see that change. And, And I know it has over the last five years, but 
it still isn't even close to sufficient in in my eyes anyways in terms of what it is we need and to have these everyday conversations with everyday people and you know turning and asking people living with the disease what do you think you know cuz right. they they have opinions and they have ideas <laughs> yeah. and yes, and we and, and we need to take those seriously because they know better than any of us um what it's like to live with this disease um I love, yeah, that's right. I loved hearing you say that um, you're guided by the experts Mm -hmm. because that's exactly how I feel. I mean, in writing this book, I think I actually say it in the first paragraph. I feel more like a scribe. Mm -hmm. You know, everything I've learned about dementia, I learned it first from my clients, Mm -hmm. from these people that I began working with here. And, um, you know, and then secondly, I started reading and, and trying to learn everything I could about it. But where the experts are the people who have it. Mm-hmm. And and when I develop dementia, it's not, the dementia does not make me any less of who I am. I am still myself. And I am still a fully um, intelligent, uh, mature person. It's just that I have, a, my, my skill sets have been altered. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to have to interact with a different set of skills. And and so if we can just recognize that as as families, as caregivers, as citizens, that when somebody develops dementia, they don't become less of a person. They only have to use a more limited set of skills. Well, and I, I think I, then then we can be good caregivers. Well, and I like that. And if if we look at our lives realistically, every single one of us, our skill sets are constantly changing. And so life is about adapting. And one of the things that I hear from people with dementia all the time is, you know, they'll say, well, I'm doing good because I'm able to adapt. And when when the disease gets really tough is when they're running out of options to adapt. Um, You know, it's getting too difficult um, to adapt um, to the disease. And the disease is starting to really take more more of them. Um, And I'll use their words, more of them away. Um, kind of nibbling away at them. But, you know, that's when we have to, you know, during this whole process, we have to learn to consciously care. We have to realize that we have more alike than different and that all of us are adapting all the time. And it's not about necessarily, and I think it's viewed this way, that everyone else around them is adapting to them. And and yet, um, when you look at adapting, a lot of times it's just adjustments that they need to be able to do things. And it, it doesn't have to be yeah. where everyone else's world stops. But I think that perception is out there that if you're caring for somebody, your world is going to stop and it's yeah. going to kind of be taken over. And you can walk this journey hand in hand. And anytime you care for somebody, yeah. you're you're willingly giving um, part of your your time and your energy and your support to somebody else. But never... Never are you not getting something in return. And, oh, and I, that is so true. And I yes. think that that's a premise out there that people think I'm not getting anything back. And the only time that that's going to happen is if you let the disease take your relationship away. And you're the only one that can protect that. And so if we're that, co- conscious yeah. of that, um, that makes a huge, huge difference in our approach. And that's one of the things that I really like about your handbook is you have some really simple, nice techniques for, for people to be able to um, utilize right away and go, Oh, I could, I could apply that. I could, I could do that today. I don't have to think, I don't have to study. I I don't have to practice. I can just try it. Um, That's right. Because all we need is, you know, really we as caregivers and, and we as family, we just need to understand what they can do and what they can't do. Mm-hmm. You know, what skills are retained and what skills are lost. And, and when, you, when you're looking at um, dementia as a condition that affects how you interact with the world around you and with the people in, in the world around you, then the pattern is really simple. It's much simpler than looking at dementia as a medical condition. Mm-hmm. You know, because when we look at, at dementia medically, we have to think about, um, like, what type of dementia is it? You know, what, what disease has caused it? And what area of the brain is being impacted? And, 
um, and then of course because we're talking about somebody's brain and their cognition then we also have to take into account what the personality is because mm-hmm. the different personality is going to be affected differently and then in addition you've got to think about what that person's earlier life experiences were and so now you've got all these variables and it's really difficult to uh, understand or interpret um, you know, what do they mean when language begins to be impacted and, and more difficult to understand and communication is, is becoming more and more limited. Mm-hmm. And so, so from a medical point of view, it gets very difficult to look at and respond to functionally. Mm-hmm. But when we look at dementia as, you know, and, and maybe this is because my background is in the arts, you know, not in science, but what, what I saw um, was that people really, you know, and the first pattern that stood out to me was this intuitive thought, rational thought, you know, that I would see my clients and it didn't matter whether the person I was talking to or, or working with had been a, a professor or a scientist um, here at one of our local universities or, or whether they were a housewife or an artist or a musician. It didn't matter. Each of them was losing rational thought skills and not losing intuitive thought. Mm-hmm. And and once I saw that, then it became so much simpler to, to spend time together and to help them continue to enjoy daily life. Because what I started doing was just taking care of all the rational thought functions. Mm-hmm. And 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 then I would be looking for ways that I could enrich their lives with uh, things that they could interpret from with their intuitive thought. Mm-hmm. Can you, can, you can you give an example of rational versus intuitive thought? I think that might help our audience a little bit. Yeah, yeah. So if if um, you know if I'm if I'm at home and I hear hear a loud sound, I'm probably I'm going to jump. You know, mm-hmm. I'm. I'm I'm working at the computer, I'm reading a book, deep in thought, you hear a loud sound and you jump. So right away, that was intuitive thought. That was your, um, your brain responding to a stimuli from the environment. Mm-hmm. At the same moment, my rational brain starts cataloging all the things that could have made that loud sound. So within nanoseconds, I have realized that it was the door slamming. You know, and, and my memory is telling me that that sound sounded just like a door being slammed in the by the breeze. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's the so the intuitive thought is my instantaneous reaction to stimuli, and then my rational thought is what helps me interpret it. Mm-hmm. So so the same as if you're you're driving down the road and and um, a dog runs out, and you swerve, you know you swerve right away. That was your intuitive thought avoiding uh, danger, mm-hmm. your fight or flight response. But at the, at the same moment, you know, just uh, within a second or two, you realize you just swerved into oncoming traffic. So you rationally move back out of the oncoming traffic lane. Mm-hmm. So, so our intuitive thought is what that, that thought system that is instantaneous, it responds to danger. Um, it's absorbing, and um, you know when when you see something beautiful, and you have that immediate response of "Ooh, that's pretty." Mm-hmm. That was your intuitive thought. You know when you smell something and it smells really good. You know you you, you walk into a bakery and you smell bake the baking. That's intuitive thought that goes, "Hmm, you know that that was delicious. That smells wonderful." Um, Rational thought is it takes it's conscious and it takes effort and and it's methodical and it's how we analyze and catalog and sort and um, you know c- come up with reasoned responses you mm-hmm. know so so when you walk into the room and you see a picture and and you think oh that's beautiful then you could stand there and look at it and you could analyze why you think it's beautiful using rational thought. Mm-hmm. So, so we all have these these two very different thought systems, um, and intuitive and rational. That's the terms I use. Um, you know, Plato, um, Einstein used these terms, intuitive and rational, and um, 
in, in the 1960s, Roger Sperry wrote, he did quite a bit of writing and called it left brain, right brain. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, you know, that's not really accurate. Our intuitive thought doesn't all occur on the right hand side of the brain. But um, it's a really good shorthand, you know, just for, for be, becoming more aware of these two very different thought systems that we all have. And, and that, you know, a big part of um, being a, a good companion to somebody who has dementia is understanding that, that we ourselves have intuitive and rational thought. Mm-hmm. And then we can be more aware of our companions' uh, loss of rational thought. And that way we know how to help them. Yeah, well, and I think one of the easiest ways um, for people to, if you're still struggling with understanding the terms, is intuitive lo- thought just comes to you. You don't have to think about it. You don't have to process it. It's right. just it just shows up, <laughs> and it's there. Yes, yeah. You and don't choose. It just happens. It just yep. it just happens. And I don't yeah. know if you'd agree with this or not, but I I find that intuitive is, um. It kind of comes with an emotion attached to it. Yeah. If it's um, yeah. if it's happy or sad or angry or peaceful, but there's just there's there's something more to it than just that. Yeah. There's there's yeah. like this emotional reaction and rational thought. I, I think of is okay. I have option A, B, or, right. or you're trying to connect. Okay, A yeah. went to B, it went to C, and now I'm at D, and I need to get to E, and <laughs> yeah. and it gets it gets complicated and it slows us down usually. Exactly. And we're yep. and well, I, yeah. And typically, rational thought. I think also um, in our minds, we think that there's a right or a wrong, and intuitive just is. It doesn't think right. about right or wrong. It doesn't think about judgment. It's just it's just there. Um, and, and, what... and, in, and intuitive thought is all the good stuff because mm-hmm. it's intuitive thought that lets, lets me, um, use all of my senses mm-hmm. and, and absorb beauty and listen to music and, um, you know, like all of Dan Cohen's work with music and memory, mm-hmm. uh, people, you know, this, the alive inside film with, with Henry, that's somebody's intuitive thought being activated yep. and, and, you know the um, in I was I was watching his neighbor Phil in, in the um, on your website, mm-hmm. and I love the place where where he says to her, "Do you remember my name?" Mm-hmm. And her reply is, she pauses and then she says, "I know it by heart." Yep. So does she remember his name? No, because that's factual information, and so without rational thought and without memory, she's not going to get to the fact. Mm-hmm. But but she knows what's important. You know, she knows him. Yep. And and that's her intuitive thought that it's still there. See, this is to me, this is the probably the most important thing I could tell families and, and tell people who love somebody with dementia is, you know, the the ability to feel emotions is still there. And the ability to read your emotions and how you're feeling, it's still there. And then the ability to enjoy beauty. It's all there. It's it's not impacted at all. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just filled their lives with as much beauty and and uh, sensory stimulation and social um, contact as possible, because they can still do it. Yep. Yeah. It's um, and sometimes we have to look at different ways in terms of how they communicate that stuff to us. You know, we're so used to being tied into words, and words are such a small portion of what we communicate. And I'm trying to think what I was watching a video or something the other day. And they said, you know, words are like 5% of our communication. And yet, and yet we rely on them so heavily instead of all the other pieces, all the other nonverbals, you know, that we, that we give out. And, um, but again, our nonverbals, they're kind of an intuitive thing. And people with dementia will tell us, over and over, I'm picking up everything you're saying to me without you saying a word, you know. Exactly. <laughs> they know, That's right. Yeah, my, yeah, my they, clients sure do. <laughs> yeah, they know what mood we're in. They know what we're really thinking, even if we're saying something that's conflicting. They're feeling that. And then that makes and, them more I, confused. 
That's right. And I think this, you know, so I teach um, my, my staff and I teach families, you know, in my training classes that when you're, when you're with somebody who has dementia, nonverbal communication becomes more important than ever. Mm-hmm. Because if I don't, if I'm losing language skills, so I'm losing vocabulary and I'm losing the ability to interpret the meaning of your actual words as you speak to me, then I, then I will be left with only your nonverbal communication to interpret. And, and nonverbal, you know, reading other people's um, facial expressions and body language and intonation, that's, uh, that's we start learning all of that when we are infants, mm-hmm. you know, the baby in arms is, is already learning how to motivate mom and dad to come and looking at their faces and understanding whether they're happy or not happy, you know, just from facial expression. And that infant is not, does not speak English. It's, mm-hmm. it's, so these are very early things that, um, skills that we begin learning and it's experientially learned. And, and things that we learn experientially are tied to our intuitive thought, not to rational thought. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's what's happening, that people in dementia, we are retaining the ability to access what we've learned ex- through experience. And, and I see my clients able to continue to learn through experience, even though they can't sit down and use rational thought to pay attention or to memorize or to recall or to organize or analyze, you know, any of those rational thought functions. Mm -hmm. I I would agree. I would agree with that. And I think part of um, the beauty in this whole process of really learning about the intuitive versus the rational is you come to learn that a lot of our rational thoughts aren't really necessary um, yeah. I mean, you think about how much time we spend on projecting what could happen in all the different ways it could happen. And a, a lot of us kind of overkill on that process. Not, and not that we shouldn't plan, don't get me wrong. Um, but some right. of us go down the rabbit hole and we never get started because we're too busy planning. Um, yeah. And, right. and others are too worried about, but what, what if, what if, what if, instead of living life where right. the intuitive just experiences what's ever before them. And um, yeah. and it says, hey, if it's not perfect, you know, then they ask the question, what's the lesson? You know, so I, right. so, so I got that one next yeah. time. But knowing <laughs> that, that life isn't going to be perfect and there are going to be some rabbit holes and you are going to go down them, um, we all do. Um, but if you yeah. have an attitude that it's a it's a learning lesson versus a catastrophe and the rest of the world's going to be looking at you, judging you. Um, you know, it, the ego just kind of lets go in dementia after a point. It does. That's right. You know, the, the woman, the lovely lady who lived across the street from me, the very first person who got me involved, um, she'd been diagnosed with Alzheimer's five years earlier, and, and she was, you know, moving right in. But but she and I, we'd be, we'd be on the way, on an errand, out on the road, mm-hmm. and she would say, Judy, stop. And she'd make me stop. And she would say, look up. You know, and, uh, you know, at first she was just, she'd been an artist. And so she would tell me, you know, that's cerulean blue. Or, or look at the color of that. That would be robin's egg blue. And she'd be pointing to the sky. She just wanted me to look at this you know, beautiful sky and, and clouds. She taught me more about being in the moment and looking at beauty and seeing beauty than than anybody I'd ever been with. Uh, mm-hmm. As she went through her Alzheimer's, we, you know, eventually it was me that was saying, um, telling her, look, look up, look up. Mm-hmm. And she she just gradually lost vocabulary. Of course, she forgot cerulean, robin's egg. She forgot all those proper nouns first. Then she started forgetting nouns. Pretty soon she didn't know the word for clouds. You know, and then she said, "Look at the fluffy things. Look mm-hmm. at the look at the white things." And then she lost adjectives. You know, and pretty soon she had no uh, ability to express. But we would still stop. You know, before we got in the car, before we got after we got out of the car, before we went into an errand, we just stand there and and I, you know, just hold each other's arms and look at the sky. And she was fully able to fully enjoy all that beauty. Mm-hmm. Every time, always. So, 
you know, this, and that's actually the second principle I try, I teach and in the book, I want to, uh, you know, I think we, if we're going to spend time with people who have dementia, we need to become aware that we are both in the present, experiencing the present. And Daniel Kahneman calls that the experiential self. And we are also the part of us, we have that part of us that remembers and the past and plans the future. And that'd be the remembering self, you know, but those Mm -hmm. two selves, if we just become aware that we have two selves, the remembering self and the experiential self, then when, when a loved one has dementia, we can, we are, we understand that they are fully experiential and in the present Mm -hmm. experiencing, even though they can't use that remembering self anymore. You know, and and if we can become aware of that, how important it is, what we put into their present, um, you know, I think that just gives us um, such an understanding of how we can be so much kinder. Yep, I I totally, totally agree with that. And, you know, for you, I'm just thinking, you know, being an, an attorney, um, my guess is you were much more a person focused on a rational thought and, and, and process. And I could be wrong. Please correct me if no, I am. I'm, I'm laughing because um, my, you, you know, I, I went to law school as an adult. Mm-hmm. And, um, and law school wasn't my first choice for grad school. It was um, a default choice. But in my earlier life, I studied art, music, um, languages, uh, literature, all of the things of the intuitive world. Mm-hmm. And then and then I end up in law school on very short, short notice. And I the first six months or a year was really uncomfortable for me because for the first time in my life, I was being required to use rational thought almost exclusively. Mm-hmm. And all of these skills I had used, you know, when I was... Um, studying literature and writing and um, studying languages and and art, none of none of it mattered. You know, in law school, it's facts. Law applied a lot of the facts. Mm-hmm. You know, and and very linear. Um, so I, you know, I think that's what stood out to me. I think that's why I noticed the pattern in, when I started spending time with people who had dementia. You know, I just I noticed that they were as distressed by losing the skills of rational thought as I had been distressed by being unable to use the, the skills of intuitive thought that I preferred. Okay, well that that makes a lot of sense, and and I think when you come from opposite ends, uh, it just slaps you in the face so much harder too. <laughs> you know? Yeah, it just is like I mean you can't ignore it because you're thinking. Because you're still trying to think, how does A go to B to C, and right. and then you're realizing, okay, they they got to that answer a lot faster than I would have. What happened there? <laughs> and yeah, and they yeah. seem peaceful, you know. Because I think a lot of times with rational thought, even though we feel like we've figured out the equation in the back of our mind, it still yeah. is that the right answer. You know, or was there an easier way or, you know, you you still have those thoughts? Yeah. You know, in in our culture, in in our American culture, we really put a high value on rational thought. And and I think we should think about that, Mm -hmm. you know, and, 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 you know, you see it in how we um, we you know, we, we give a lot of respect to lawyers and surgeons and doctors and, and, and these professions that um, use rational thought highly. Mm-hmm. And yet, um, why don't we admire the artist or uh, the linguist as much? And really, when you, when you think about it, rational thought and intuitive thought are completely different and completely complementary mm-hmm. and and supportive of each other, and we should be looking at the two as equally as valuable. But you know, so that when a person develops dementia, if 
if rational thought is just a tool, something we do um, equations and computations and arrive at make decisions and um, you know I, I the ones I see the most in my clients are rational thought is the ability to see cause and effect mm-hmm. it's the ability to see steps in a process or sequences and it's the ability to prioritize ideas or actions and and those three um, areas of rational thought are, are the ones that trip up my clients the most but but knowing that when I understand that my client, when, when she looks out the window and she sees snow falling, that, and she's standing inside and she's perfectly warm, if I realize that she is going to refuse to put on a jacket because she cannot see cause and effect, you know, she can't mm-hmm. perceive that when she walks outside, snow will cause her to be cold. Mm-hmm. So, so she's going to refuse a jacket. Well, if I understand that's why she's refusing the jacket, then I don't take it personally and I don't need patience and I don't need empathy. I just understand that that's how her brain is not working anymore. Mm-hmm. And so I'll take the jacket with me. And when she wants it, you know, then, then I'll offer it. Yep. So I, I, to me, you know, just seeing the pattern is so freeing. And, and um, I, I almost feel like this is, just like we could all become more aware ourselves of our two types of thought and, mm-hmm. and be aware ourselves that we, every day we're using our experiential self, our remembering selves, you know, and then the, the other dyad that I talk about is mindfulness and mindlessness. And if we become aware of how we use it, then we, we aren't going to um, find it as difficult to just step in and take care of rational thought for our loved one who's got dementia. Mm-hmm. You know, or, or um, you know, take care of things that require um, being mindful, you know, paying attention, um, following through on something. If we understand that they don't have that, then then we're we're it's much easier for us just to take care of it for them. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. Um, now, one of the things I wanted to talk to you was about um, the pattern of abilities and cognitive losses, and and you know how you how you look at them as a, a psychological um, changes, basically, versus kind of the disease process. And I know we've talked about this a little bit, but um, can you go into a little bit more depth in terms of that with our audience? Yeah. Yeah. So, and I, you know, I know I kind of stray into dangerous territory because uh, dementia and Alzheimer's, dementia is not a mental illness um, and it's not a mental health um, issue. But, so I don't want to confuse um, my having used the word psycho- psychological with that. But um, more I use, you know, I want to draw this distinction between um when we have disease and there is there is uh, treatment or cure, um, that we should look at the issue from a medical point of view and do testing diagnosis and then um, through education understand what treatment and cure we want to pursue. Mm-hmm. But but when you're talking about dementia, so so I want us to just you know set that aside. And, and carry on looking for a cure and, um, you know, fo- using the medical approach, the biomedical model for research and for, for medicine. But let's take dementia and look at it from another perspective because if, if I'm living with somebody who has dementia, mm-hmm. all this diagnosis is of no use at all. What I need to understand and what will help me is if I understand their um, their mental and emotional state and and so that's the real meaning of psychological it's somebody's mental and emotional state and and so if i if i know they are losing rational thought they're losing the remembering self mm-hmm. they're losing the ability to be mindful knowing that then i'm going to be able to isolate and see how to respond to them uh, in terms of function mhm and, and function is, is what we're after. You know, function is what I need. I need to know what you can do and what you can't do. 
and then I'll know what I should do to help you and what I should let you do yourself. Mm-hmm. And, and, but in this, um, you know, when, when we're losing uh, cognition, when we're losing cognitive abilities, it's always um, very costly emotionally. You know, there's a great deal of distress caused by finding your brain um, to be giving you inaccurate information about reality or about what's happening or about what has happened. And and so as caregivers and families, what we need to be able to do is respond to these lost uh, functions in ways that are supportive emotionally. Okay. Well, that, that's um, helpful. And I think, um, you know, when you mentioned about, you know, the, the psychological condition and, and kind of defining that, to me, with dementia, it's almost that, that um, so, um, psychosocial condition that, you know, because so yeah. much of this is, is related to um, still being a valued in community um, and how, yeah. how people perceive the disease and how their reactions are received by those diagnosed. And I think so many don't even understand that impact um, because don't. again, sometimes it's not in words, it's in our actions. And we as a society are not very in tune to, <clears throat> to our actions as a whole. So thank you for that. Um, we'd already talked about examples of intuitive versus rational thought. And I just think that that is um such a good piece for people to really look at. Uh, and I loved your example of, okay, she, she doesn't know she's going to need the coat because to her snowflakes doesn't mean it's going to be cold, but it was kind yeah. of, a, kind of a, um, you get to the point of picking a battle, you know, and there's a saying right. that you can't, you can't win an argument with somebody with dementia. So pick your battles and be prepared and, yep. and, and understand that that's just where they're at and it'll it'll all be okay, <laughs> you know. There's yeah. there's other ways to to work around this situation, and instead of getting into this big battle, just keep moving forward, um, and yeah. and trying yeah. to create a a joyful experience. And that includes not just them, but but you and everyone else around you. Um, in and we do that by being supportive and and understanding and consciously caring with somebody. Yeah. Yeah, I teach families, you know, in, in, so in my Dawn Method, I've got seven tools, and, and these seven tools correspond to um, two sets of emotional needs. But um, how, you know, num- the, my, my fifth tool is how do you help someone feel in control? How do you give them, a, you know, enhance their ability to make decisions or to choose um, or to feel like they've already made enough choices today? Um, that they can they can give up, um, you know. Let you make this decision, mm-hmm. um, you know. And and having a sense of value. How do you help somebody feel and have a sense of value when they're losing uh, vocabulary, they're losing language, and it's impacting their ability to communicate and and take part in relationships. Mm-hmm. And and so it's these you know these things are really essential. Um, emotional needs that are caused by going through cognitive impairment. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, first we have needs for security. We need to feel secure uh, before we can really feel happier or um, have a sense of well-being. But um, there's, there's ways we can do that. You know, when we, when we understand the pattern of loss and the pattern of what's kept, you know, the skills kept, then we can we can very carefully um, help our loved ones start to feel more secure. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Um, in you know, I can't believe our hour is is wrapping up here. I just want to talk oh. about um, your book, the Dementia Handbook, because you do have just a lot of great little ideas here. Um, and it, it just kind of goes on and on and on about, uh, you know, little things. So I'm just going to pull a couple of things out. Well, one of them is uh, dementia and mistaken identities. And then you you talk about um, help dad, um, you know, he thinks I'm mom. Um, he's living in the past. Yeah. He's forgetting, you know, what I look like. Can you talk just a little bit about that mistaken identities and, and point to maybe give our audience a couple of tips there? 
Yeah, yeah. You know, I think um, when what we need to understand or what we need to realize is that it's when we when we ask somebody who is losing memory um, that we really understand what they're losing. So so often I'll, I'll find that that my families will come to visit and then they'll be really hurt because um, dad or mom mistook them for somebody else or doesn't, doesn't recognize them at all. And, and so that's, that's where that little article came from. But um, I think we need to realize that when you lose your remembering self, you're losing your memories, you know, your, your, what you know of your past, your story. And, but you also lose the ability to use that skill, the skill of memory itself. And so it's, it's equivalent to if somebody were to be experiencing macular degeneration and they're gradually losing eyesight. Mm-hmm. And so we stop expecting them to see things. You know, you, you, um, you might hold someone's arm and walk across the street with them because, you know, they're not going to be able to see the curb. Um, and they won't be able to see the lines. So, so we're assisting them because we understand they cannot see right now in this experience they're having in the present. But we, we also accept when a person loses eyesight that they won't see us and they won't be able to know it's us unless we explain it to them. And we need to recognize the same thing with memory. And so when dad doesn't recognize you it's because he doesn't have the skill of using memory and so he cannot possibly um, know who you are unless you tell him Mm -hmm. just as a person who's blind can't know who you are unless you tell them so um, there's there's so many um, I, I, I don't know how much time you want me to take, Lori, to really answer this in full, but um, you're good. You know, with okay, so with without memory, without recall, um, we simply can't expect a person to know who we are. Mm-hmm. And, and so, you know, when I go to see the, that dear woman who who became my friend and, and who is now um, in care, and she has no idea who I am or anybody else. But when I come in, I greet her, and she greets me. You know, she responds with a smile and a hello. Mm -hmm. And her smile and hello are directed at a person who just walked into that room. And then she wonders who I am. And so I will go over to her and say, um, you know, sometimes I'll, I'll say, oh, you know, my hands are so cold. Feel my hands. Feel how cold my hands are. Now, for her, in her experience, the stranger has just walked over and offered her hands. And so she will um, reach out and touch my hands, and then then she'll say, oh, yes, they're very cold. Mm -hmm. But if I were to just walk up to her and and grab her hands and say, you know, hi, Mary, um, because I'm glad to see her, and she's my friend, and I love her, it would be a stranger who is grabbing her her hands. And so I don't do that. I I give her an opportunity to reach out and touch my hands. And then her compassionate nature, she wants to warm my hands up. And then I can then sit with her and we hold hands. And then I start to tell her all about us. So I will tell her, you know, Mary, I'm your dear friend, Judy. And you and me, we've had so much fun together over the years. And boy, I remember, and I will start telling her about our mutual memories. So I'm, I'm not asking her to use a skill she doesn't have. Mm-hmm. And I'm not offended or hurt that she isn't using a skill she doesn't have. Mm-hmm. And I'm taking into account that she can't possibly know that I, if I'm somebody whom she has shared many, many, many hugs with. And so I'm going with her set of abilities. And and so I will share with her who we are and all the good times we've had together mm-hmm. and, and all the good things we've shared and, and how much we love each other. And when I do that, you know, tears come to her eyes, of tears of joy. She is so overjoyed to have a person there in the present um, bringing all of this love and companionship and happiness 
happy times and happy memories into her present. And and that mood lasts for a long time. You know, it lasts for hours mm-hmm. unless it gets broken by somebody coming into her presence and bringing sorrow um, or demanding that she know who they are or, you know, putting her on the spot, embarrassing her or, or making her feel badly, uh, making her feel guilty for not remembering mm-hmm. who they are. Wonderful. So it, it's, you know, we just need to understand what a person can do and then accept what they cannot do mm-hmm. and do that for them. So I'm, I'm her memory. Mm-hmm. And, and it's something I thoroughly enjoy doing is, is going over and, and coming into her presence as a stranger and then developing that camaraderie and then mutually enjoying all, all of the memories that we have our, um, our happy times. Mm-hmm. But I bring because I know she can't. Okay. Wonderful. Well, Judy, this has just been uh, fantastic. I so appreciate all you are doing, you know, for the dementia community. And I want to thank you also for donating some of your books for our um, dementia cruise and conference that we're doing in November. Uh, I know people are really going to enjoy uh, your dementia handbook. So thank you very much for participating in that. Um, As far as contact, um, what kind of contact information would you like people to have? I know you're on Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn, if they put in the Dawn method, um, typically they'll be able to find you right away. Um, yeah. And then your your website is the Dawn method. So the Dawn And uh, and then it looks like email. If they just add Judy at the Dawn method, they'll be able to get a hold of you without a problem. Yes. Does that sound good? Yes. Okay. That does. Yep. Well, wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Lori. It's been wonderful to talk with you. Well, thank you. Appreciate all you're doing and keep up the great work. And I'm sure we'll be in touch in the future. Um, for Sounds the, great. Thank you. Um, for those of you that are new to the Alive and Social Network, you might want to check out one of my sidekicks here, uh, Rachel Perrin, who's the culinary director for Kowalski's Market. Uh, she has an episode <clears throat> that she does that's only 10 or 15 minutes, and it's called What's for Dinner Tonight? And it's a great way to figure out what the heck you're going to eat. Um, or maybe, you know, we've got Easter coming up around the corner. Maybe you're still trying to figure out menus. And they have a, a great, delicious seasonal menu um, list on their website at kowalskis.com. That's kowalskis.com. Go ahead and check that out. Again, I'm going to give another um, plug for our uh, dementia-friendly conference and cruise, November 11th uh, through the 18th. It'll be going uh, to the Caribbean through Holland, America. You do have to go through our travel agent, Kathy Schof, to be part of that conference. But you'll be able to hear not only from myself and Cindy uh, Luzinski, who heads up the Colorado grassroots effort for a dementia-friendly community, but Harry Urban, Michael Ellenbogen, Lori Shearer, and Mary Reed, all living with dementia. And now Becky Watson is joining us, who is a music therapist. Um, In addition, um, all of our shows here on Alzheimer's Speaks um, Radio are archived, and we have years of them. So feel free to go back and listen to some of our past shows. We just did one on chair yoga, which was great. Uh, Another one was on Shay's Way, which is another approach to dementia, and um, and then we had um, uh, somebody talking about the wonders in dementia land, um, and uh, that was just real fun. She's in the process of writing a play about her experience with her mom, and she's just a real go-getter. We also had one uh, not too long ago about children in dementia. You know, this isn't an old person's disease. This can This can hit any of us, and so we have to be aware of that. I also want to let you know about Dementia Chats. Our last one, we talked about um, how they want to be communicated with. And again, our experts on Dementia Chats all are living with the disease, and so who better to to learn from? They also talk about how their senses have changed and and just give you great insights in terms of um, dealing with the disease as as it progresses. A couple of upcoming um, film screenings of His Neighbor Phil on May 20th, I will be at St. Trace in Woodbury, and on May 23rd, I'm going to be in Ellsworth, Wisconsin, so you can look for those. Um, Feel free to check out our blogs. We always have um, different uh, 
articles there. There was an ode to a caregiver that got a lot of traction. Also, 20% off the new edition of the 36-Hour Day by John Hopkins Press and some information on some trials there. If you have uh, somebody you're worried about wandering, you may want to check the Caregiver Alert Center. And you can just go to the callalertcenter.com forward slash caregiver. And uh, if you put in the promo code ALZ Speaks Promo 10, you'll get 10% off um, if you sign up. But it's a, it's a great mode to, um, to just feel a little safer, not only for you as a care partner, but for the person diagnosed. Have a wonderful week, everyone, and we will talk with you soon. Bye now. It's time to rethink, renew, and reimagine retirement. Hey, everybody. Jared Sebesta here, host of Retire Repurposed. Now, this podcast is about the non-financial parts of retirement, which many times can be even more challenging than the financial. We believe retirement is not the end, rather the beginning of what could be the most impactful, purposeful, and fulfilling season of a person's life. So don't retire. Become repurposed. To listen now, search Retire Repurposed on your favorite podcast platform, Senior Resource, or Life Audio.